This is VLX number 81, Behold His Mother. We are in Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. God give you his peace, and omni patris fidit spiritus sancti. Amen. God, our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In omni patris fidit spiritus sancti. Amen. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. So today, let's start with the imaginative way of prayer, but we will look at the Greek to do that. The Gospel says today, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Now we're going to prove a little bit later that these were Jesus's cousins, not his blood brothers. So I'm going to have you picture yourself as one of Jesus's cousins standing outside this home. Now you can see all these people are in the home and you and Mary really want to talk to Jesus. Now notice that the ESV that I read at the beginning of all these sections, the ESV has the verb to ask in there. Mary and the cousins ask to speak to Jesus, but that's not strong enough. The Dewey Rhymes Bible is a lot better in the translation as seeking. Mary and these brethren or cousins, as we're going to prove later, were seeking to speak to Jesus. The verb in Greek is zeteo, I seek, or here zetuntes, which is a present plural participle. Now my Greek dictionary defines it as to seek a thing, to seek after, to require, to crave or demand something from someone. So notice that's a lot stronger than the ESVs to ask. They weren't just asking, they were seeking or craving or requiring to get inside to speak to Jesus. So Mary and Jesus's cousins, if you're doing the imaginative way of prayer, you're going to picture yourself as one of these cousins. They really wanted to speak to him. And then that participle is followed by the infinitive lalesai. Lalesai is the infinitive connected to the participle. So it's put it all together, it's seeking to speak to him, but seeking in an intense way in the Greek. So if you're doing the Ignatian mental prayer, you might want to ask yourself, why are Mary and his cousins so intent on speaking to him? What is the topic? Why isn't Jesus running out there to meet them? The Greek has the word ochlois, which is a crowd, a crowd on the inside, and then Mary and Christ's cousins can't get inside to see him but they really must speak with him. So there must also be a crowd on the outside, two crowds, one on the inside that can hear and see Jesus and another on the outside. And you're in the outside crew, you're a cousin of Jesus trying to get in with Mary. Again, you probably can't see Jesus. You can probably hear him as you can be sure when he spoke to the people on the inside, everybody listened. Why else would there be these crowds if they didn't want to listen, not just talk around him? So in the imaginative way of prayer, speak now with Mary about what you would want to talk to Jesus about, what is so pressing in your life, and even more, why you love her son so much and want to see him. Now, obviously, the cousins are making such a ruckus, or at least maybe they're silent. Maybe they're the silent but formidable presence. I don't know if they're talking a lot or this person just notices them because my Greek Bible has a verse that the ESV does not, so I'll translate that for you. The next verse in my Greek Bible says, Someone said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking to speak with you. Now, this next line must have stung because our Lord says, 
who is my mother and who are my brothers? Now, we're going to actually see later why this was a compliment to Mary. It's not a rip on her, as, as if Jesus were even capable of that. But we're going to see why this is a compliment to Mary. Um, and then it has this line. St. Matthew says, And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. So the Greek in that verse has this sense that his arm was fully extended, kind of circling around at any disciples surrounding him, at least any one of his disciples who were willing to do the will of God. Then, and probably or hopefully, all the way to the cross. Well, then Christ has this striking line that we close today's section with. I have a lot more to say, but the last section we're going to look at, last verse we're going to look at is, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, look, we traditional Catholics, I know it's not all traditional Catholics listening out there. I know there's non-Catholics And I'm very appreciative of the fact you're listening to this series. But we traditional Catholics, we know Jesus is our Savior and our God. And so we are rightly hesitant to call Jesus our brother. That term brother, calling Jesus brother, has sort of been commandeered by the hippie Christians out there. But here it is. Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and his sisters, especially if we do the will of his heavenly Father. Now, usually the Greek and the Latin, that term brethren in Greek and Latin, usually that subsumes both genders. But here Jesus actually uses different words for his new family members. Adelphos as brother, Adelphes as sister, and mater is mother. So that's pretty amazing that if you do the will of Jesus as Heavenly Father, it is Jesus himself, not me, it's Jesus himself, who doesn't just call you son and daughter, as we know. He actually calls you literally, brother or sister. Now, of course, recognizing the majesty of God, recognizing the majesty of Christ, that he is our Savior and our God, that is the will of God. That's part of the will of God. So once we do that, it is a beautiful meditation to think of why in the world would Jesus want to call you his brother and his sister? His words, not mine. Uh, But didn't I just say in regards to the first verse today that the plural Adelphoi was cousins, not brothers? Well, yes, it can be either one linguistically, but we know that Adelphoi in the first verse today was cousins, not brothers, by context. How do we know this? Because Jesus was an only child. How do we know this? Okay, so we Catholics call this the perpetual virginity of Mary, and we have many infallible dogmas proving this. But for the non-Catholic listeners, I want to prove it solely from the New Testament. So you might want to write this down. If you look in Matthew 13.55, we'll be doing that VLX soon enough in the next year. If you look in Matthew 13.55, it's clear that James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas are indeed called brethren of Jesus. But here's the thing, that word brethren, it's a Semitic word that signifies varying degrees of blood relationships. And you can see this in Genesis 14.14. You can see it in Leviticus Leviticus 10.4. now, you also have to, if you're writing this down, make note that in Luke 6, 15 to 16, and Matthew 10, 3, and Matthew 27, 56, all three of these verses reveal that James, James is going to come in big for what I'm explaining today. James is the son of Alphaeus and Mary, this Mary actually being the sister or cousin of the mother of God, and you can see that in John 19:25. So let me put all that together again. In Matthew 13, 55, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas are called brethren of Jesus, But this Semitic word signifies varying degrees of blood relationships, as you can see in Genesis 14.14, Genesis 29.12, and Leviticus 10.4. But if you look at Luke 6, Matthew 10, and Matthew 27, these reveal James is the son of Alphaeus and Mary, this being a different Mary, 
either the cousin or the sister, the mother of God. You can find that in John 19.25. Anyway, I think the most important verses in there to see that the so-called brethren of Jesus were born of a different Mary is found in Matthew 27. Listen towards the end of Matthew 27. What I'm going to do is not read you a Catholic Bible. I'm going to read you from two different Protestant translations that Catholics never use. I'm going to read you from the NIV and the King James. The NIV says, Many women were there. This is about the crucifixion. Place yourself at the crucifixion. Matthew 27 in the NIV says, Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. So again, James is thought to be a blood brother of Jesus by Protestants if you only look at Matthew 13.55. But and again, the NIV says, it says, Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Okay, which mother is it? Which Mary is it talking about, rather? Well, again, sorry to repeat this, but listen to Matthew 27, 56 in the NIV. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Or the King James Version, same verse, Matthew 27, 56. Among them was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's children. Just a one word different there. So there we have proof that James was Jesus' cousin, not his brother. This is a little bit hard for us English speakers to get this, but for people who speak more ancient languages, they understand that these words brother and cousin are frequently interchangeable. There's a little story from my own life to demonstrate this. When I was in seminary, I was in my early 20s, and somehow I ended up helping a young man in a hospital. He was from Nepal, you know, the country north of India there. And uh, I was helping him with something in a hospital. I can't exactly remember what it was, but I was in seminary in my early 20s, and there was a Nepalese man in his early 20s, and I was helping him in the hospital. And the situation went something like this, if I can remember correctly. I said to him, do you have parents here I can call? And he said, no. So I said, do you have brothers or sisters I can call? And he said, no, but I have brothers here. And, oh, so you have a brother here, I said? No, but I have brothers here in Denver. Okay, so I was clearly confused. Uh, but then, I think I may have even remembered these whole apologetics on uh, the cousins of Jesus, because then I started to realize, um, as best as I can remember 20 years later, is he was hearing me correctly that I, I meant literally blood brothers. Do you have any blood brothers in Denver? But he was transliterating in his mind, as best he knew from the Nepalese to the English, the word cousins, which really only came out as brothers. So this is why it was kind of this Abbott and Costello business. I say, do you have parents I can call? No. Do you have brothers or sisters I can call? No, but I have brothers here. <laughs> we meant cousins right there. So that shows you right there that many languages refer to cousins as brothers. Also, some people will try to overturn the perpetual virginity of Mary by pointing to Matthew 1.25. It says, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had born a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, the word there in Greek for until is heos, but that's found in other parts of the New Testament, like 1 Corinthians 15.25. What does that say? It says, For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. So you can ask Protestants who don't believe in the perpetual virginity of Mary to say, well, will Christ's reign end at that point? No, it continues. So the word heos in Greek can mean until, but also until and beyond that. Therefore, this is just as Mary's virginity, um, it, it continues through Joseph taking her um, to a, a new home, but it also, her virginity extends beyond that. That's why until isn't a definitive line there, just as 
um, saying that that uh, Christ will reign until he's put his all, all of his enemies at, at his feet. Does that mean Christ's reign ends once his enemies are put at his feet at the final judgment? Of course not. All Protestants would, of course, admit that continues forever. Now, it's interesting. Modern heretics doubt the perpetual virginity of Mary, but the early heretics, namely the Manichaeans, they use this verse, this section of the Bible that we're looking at to say Jesus was basically a ghost with no real family with flesh, blood, and bones. No, no real ties at all. Kind of the opposite heresy of the Protestants, if you think about it. Well, this is what um, Father Lapide has to say about that. He requotes verse 48 in the Douay Rhymes. He says, But he answering him told him, said, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? Now, this is what Father Lapide adds today. He says, Note, Christ speaks thus, not as denying that he really had a mother, as if Christ were not a true man, but a phantasm, born of a phantasm, as Marcin and the Manichees taught, nor yet as though he were ashamed of his mother and poor brethren, but either because this messenger was interrupting him with too great boldness and importunity by calling him away from the preaching which he had begun, as St. Chrysostom and Epiphanius think, or rather, as St. Ambrose says, that he might show that he must be more intent upon the ministry given him by his father than upon his affection for his mother, and that he must prefer spiritual to carnal relationships. In the former, there is neither sex nor rank, but all are closely related to Christ, and by every tie, as though they were father, sister, and brother. For this is what Matthew adds concerning Christ. And then in verse 49, he, repeat, he repeats verse 49, And stretching forth his hand towards his disciples, he said, Behold my mother and my brethren. Father Lapide says this is indicating his disciples with a gesture. Hence the Arabic he pointed with his hand toward his disciples. Verse 50, For whoever shall do the will of my Father that is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Father Lapide says spiritually, as I've already said, not carnally. He speaks of brother and sister because of either sex. For men who believe are Christ's brothers, and women believers are Christ's sisters, as Pope St. Gregory the Great teaches. The faithful soul who obeys Christ, therefore, is Christ's adoptive brother, because by grace he is the son of the same God and Father. The same person is also the mother of Christ, because by teaching, exhorting, and counseling, she brings forth Christ in herself and others. Thus, Pope St. Gregory the Great, St. Bede, and Euthymius. Here, Pope St. Gregory the Great, quote, We must know that he who is the brother and sister of Christ through believing is made his mother by preaching. For he, as it were, brings forth the Lord, whom he infuses into the heart of his hearer, and he becomes his mother if by his voice the love of the Lord is awakened in the mind of his neighbor, end quote. Father Lapide continues, He subjoins the example of St. Felicity, who by the Spirit bore to God the seven sons to whom she had been given to whom she had given birth in the flesh because she strengthened them in persecution and encouraged them for martyrdom. And St. Augustine says, Also his mother is every pious soul doing the will of his father with most fruitful charity towards those whom it is bringing forth until he himself be formed in them. Mary, therefore, doing the will of God is corporally only the mother of Christ, but spiritually she is both his sister and mother. And on this account, that one female, not only in the spirit, but also in the flesh, is both a mother and a virgin. He adds the reason, but she is clearly the mother of his members, which we are, for she cooperated by charity, so that faithful ones should be born in the church who are members of that head, but in the flesh she is the mother of the head himself. And so let's just finish on that fact. If you remember from what I said earlier, I pointed that line, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And I said, well, we're going to see later why this was a compliment to Mary 
not a rip on her as if Jesus were even capable of doing that. Well, what's the answer to that? Well, it's because Mary is always doing the will of God. And we see this in the Bible. Look at the incarnation in Luke chapter 1, verse 37 to 38. The angel Gabriel ends with, For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. You know, be it done unto me according to your word is the most perfect act of surrender to the will of God ever made by any human person. Therefore, Mary does fulfill what Christ said today. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother. And remember, Elizabeth, her cousin, recognized this at the visitation just a few verses later in Luke 2, when Elizabeth says, And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And so why is Mary not only the physical mother of Jesus, but also the spiritual mother of Jesus? Because she did the will of the Father. And what was the first, the primal, the most important, the beginning will of the Father for all of us? It's exactly what Mary completed perfectly, to believe that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Please say an hour, Father, for me, et benedictio Dei omnipotentis, patris et filii, et spiritus sancti, descendit super vos, et maniat semper. Amen.